Welcome to Own It from Women Lead Change. I'm Tiffany O'Donnell, the CEO of Women Lead Change. On today's episode, I talked to Aqui Engie, who's an Iowa-based artist creating in words, performance, and visual art. She specializes in creative, personal narrative storytelling across artistic mediums and through producing and curating community-focused arts programming. Her work and words have appeared on stage from California's wine country to New York Fashion Week to, of course, Women Lead Change. She's worked with us on several projects over the years, including the recent piece, Years Ahead, featured in the WLC 15-year anniversary video. She is creator of the Remoir Project, which is a nationwide studio and visual storytelling arts initiative, and a champion of the artist and the arts through her role as a producer of multimedia arts events across the Midwest. Welcome, Aqui, and thank you for making time for our listeners of the Own It podcast. We so appreciate getting to know you a little bit more because a lot of us know you from Women Lead Change videos that have just, I mean, gone viral. And I encourage anybody who's listening right now to go to our website, go to your website, to watch some of some of your work, um, which we'll talk about in a little bit, what inspires you. Uh, but sure. I want to talk more about you and, and how you got to where you've had a pretty interesting journey. Well, you know, I think to some degree, we all have interesting journeys. Um, but yeah, I mean, not very many people can say that they've moved from Cameroon on the west coast of Africa to Springville, Iowa, you know. So people are always curious about how that transpired, how I ended up in Cameroon. And my dad and mom actually met when they were both going to school at Ames. And uh, my dad got his PhD then at the University of Iowa. And I was born in Iowa City. And then very quickly, we moved to Cameroon, where my dad was from. And I lived there until I was about eight years old. And then my mom and my younger sister and I moved back to where my mom's family is from, which is how we landed in Springville, Iowa. So going from Cameroon, Africa to Springville, Iowa um, was quite a fascinating foundation, really, for my childhood. And, And then went from Springville to Cedar Rapids the summer before my eighth grade year and have spent most of my life in Cedar Rapids. Wow. Fascinating. Do you remember what that was like? What are the things you remember being an eight-year-old landing in Springville? I remember, uh, oh gosh, going from Cameroon to Springville here. You know, the funny thing about it is that there were some similarities that made the transition a little less um, uh, shocking than, than a person might think. Like, the, the fact that both cultures are rooted in farming and agriculture um, was something that was really familiar. So in Cameroon, there's corn in the backyards, there are cows um, and, and farmers, cattle farmers along the streets and that type of thing. Um, so moving to Springville to my, my grandmother and grandfather's farm um, offered a little bit of familiarity for me. But on the other hand, I just got to tell you that going from a country where you have relatively little, but you also don't feel like you need much more than what you have to this country where when we walked into Walmart as an eight-year-old, I was like, what is all of this? Are you kidding me? You know, I mean, just overwhelmed. I mean, truly overwhelmed. Talk about literal culture shock, overwhelmed by access and excess here is what I would say. Both communities and cultures also, especially with my grandmother's farm being this hub for our family, 
um, both cultures really rooted in family and connection and sitting around a dinner table and enjoying meals together. Like that similarity was something that I, even now, I just appreciate about my childhood in both cultures. That is fascinating. I love what you just said, though. You didn't, you didn't need much. You didn't have much. You didn't need much. Didn't, we didn't need much. I mean, I remember playing in the dirt. There, the imagination just takes flight. Just takes flight. I mean, the the whole idea around innovation as as a symptom of lack, right? Like lack of resources leads to innovation. You have to be innovative. Um, it's true. It's in the blood there. It's in the DNA of um, of my community and culture there. And so, what I remember about childhood was just first of all, I remember joy. I remember pure joy. I remember. Um, that joy being around literally playing in the dirt with my cousins, with my family, with my siblings, with our neighborhood friends. And what that play looked like was truly an exercise in the imagination. We would make things out of sticks and dirt and tires and you know what I mean? And so coming here then, where suddenly you have all the things, you have all of the toys, you have all the things, right? I I remember in my childhood, my imagination sort of becoming a little bit more blurred, a little bit more diminished. But, and I would say that as a mother, that experience of going from Cameroon to Springville, Iowa, and, and and the experiences that I'm describing as a mother really informed how I raised my kids. And I have to, I have to wonder if you're so talented in the arts and the create with your creativity and your imagination. I have to wonder how tightly those two things are connected. Yeah, yeah, I I feel like they're tightly connected. Um, you know, so my my dad just passed away last summer, last July, and it was the first time I'd been able to go back to Cameroon, and it was the first time then that I'd been able to sort of remember. Cameroon in a way that was like true to to the actual experience rather than my memories of it, you know, like the stories that I'd sort of concocted yeah. in my mind. And it was just interesting to see one of the things that I think I've ta- I've I've brought with me from my childhood to now, really the love of language and Tiffany, I mean it like with all the all my like molecular structure um the love of language, I think part of that is absolutely in, in my DNA. And I remember as a kid um, sitting around and just listening to the people around me in Cameroon speak and their command of the English language is profound. Their heightened vocabulary is, they would put 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 one of my Cameroonian siblings in a room with a hundred other people um, living right here in Iowa and their command of the English language and their heightened vocabulary would surpass most anyone in that room. And so it's people, I think a lot of people don't know that part, right? Like, no, in addition no. To, yeah, I know. In addition to French, in addition to Meta, in addition to Pigeon English, in addition to German, in addition to sometimes three or four other languages, their command of the English language is profound. But the reason I guess I bring that up is because the sentence structure is different you know, we're, we're taught a specific sort of sentence structure here with the English language and grammar. Their sentence structure is a little different. And in, in my ear, it's more poetic. Their, 
literal language and their figurative language and the sentence structure and the syntax becomes poetry in a way that when I was there last summer, I was like, I kept taking notes because they're just different phrases where you put the verb or the noun in certain positions and suddenly it's poetry, you know? I don't know if I'm making any sense. But, ah, you are. You know why it makes a ton of sense? You use words as instruments. I mean, when you speak, it's just interesting to hear you say it like this, because I think anyone who's seen you perform would not be surprised that you see words very lyrically uh, because they do. And it's not, there's a cadence to it. There's also a punctuation to certain words. Um, it really is musical. It makes complete sense that that's how you see language because that is how you use it. I will also say, I think most of us could hear those words and not hear them like you do. When you say they're like poetry to you, that's a gift. I think you 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 hear it as a gift and then lucky for us, you share it. Thank you. It's well, it's a joy. Look at me. I'm like beaming. I just love it. I love it. Yeah. And people, I, I can't wait for others to hear what we're talking about if they haven't, if they haven't watched you already. Mount Mercy University was founded in 1928 by a group of bold women intent on breaking barriers. Inspired by the Sisters of Mercy, Mount Mercy is committed to fulfilling their mission to expand abilities, equip you to lead with purpose, and empower you to accomplish your goals. Mount Mercy offers graduate, accelerated, and traditional programs to people from all walks of life. Their forward-thinking, future-focused approach puts you on the path toward success. Mount Mercy University. The future is female. Their past was too. Discover more at mtmercy.edu. Let's talk about the arts because you are you are a passionate supporter um, and liver of the arts. Um, you live yeah. this for sure. Women Lead Change looks at the world through a gender lens, obviously. So I always ask questions as it relates to you know young women and girls, and then than some of us as adults that may not have been exposed as much as you to the arts. How important is that for our young, our young women and women in general? You know, it's vital. It's critical. It's vital. It's, I think, I think of it as truly um, life giving in, in the context of our young women and girls, because the arts and especially the freedom that a command of language and and then bringing forth one's own voice, the freedom of all of that, um, and the power then that's inherent in all of that, the use of voice, the use of language towards self-advocacy, particularly in the context of art and gender, I think is just, it's absolutely vital. And that's one of the things that I, I've always appreciated about being invited to create a project for Women Lead Change, because I think I'm truly at my very best when I have an opportunity to um, speak directly to women and for women, and at the heart of what I do is a recognition that I'm a mother to two daughters, and they're always watching, and they're always listening, you know? No, I do. Uh, it is powerful. It is a powerful way to advocate, and I, I do think it's an interesting leveler of sorts, too, mm -hmm. you know? It is. And it's, I've been thinking recently in a variety of different specific ways around the power of words and the power of communication, the power of words and language to truly separate us, but also bring us together. 
in the context of self-advocacy, in the context of community. So one of the things that I, I really personally find interesting and appropriate to all of the work that I do is the relationship between community, communion, and communication, right? They're all born from the same root word. They're all born from the et etymological word that means to make common, to make one. And so, wow. right? Mm -hmm. That's that pretty is, cool. Yeah. I mean, like, that's the, that's the truth about communication. That's the truth about words. How we communicate with each other has the power to make us one. That's the energy of the word communication. That's the energy of the word community. It's the energy of the word communion. It's all the same. It's all the same. And something like a pandemic, I mean, just sort of stabs that in the heart, too. From your vantage point. What are, as it relates to communication, were there opportunities as well as challenges with something like a pandemic? Mm, my gosh. In terms as you know, I would, question. I love, I love that question. It's making me just think back a little, a little ways, you know, mm -hmm. um, to some of those earliest, earliest days and months. And for me, I think that the what pandemic offered in the context of communication, recognizing the really horrific um, health crisis, right? Recognizing that there's that, but wanting to just take a moment to specify that I think one opportunity we had in the context of communication was to really bring ourselves back home, bring ourselves back home to the people with whom we we share the space that we know as home, but which prior to pandemic, we might've spent very little time in <laughs> and people who may, yes. we may have spent very little time with, right? And mm -hmm. I don't know about you. I don't know about other, the listeners, but it was an experience that was really interesting to sort of come back to self, come back to a communication and a communion with oneself. Who am I really? When I don't have all of these things that are pulling me here and pushing me there and, and inviting me here and inviting me there, and da, 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 who am I really? And then pulling my children around and we look at each other and we say, okay, who are we really in this point in time? And how do we navigate these waters together? And I think it created an opportunity to really look at each other and ourselves closely, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? How do we keep that post-pandemic? How do you keep that? I, yes, a lot of intentionality, a lot of intentionality. I, I sense that I'm not, I, that I'm, that there are more of us who feel this way than others. And we may not be talking about it. I think you and I are talking about it right now. So I appreciate this opportunity. I wonder how many other people are out there sort of navigating through the world with two versions of themselves. One is that version that was pre-pandemic. One is the version that is this new version of ourselves. And we're still going back to that ver older version of ourselves. I'm like, wait, I'm not that person anymore. I don't value those things anymore. Some of what I used to do, I don't find any interest in doing, or I don't feel motivated to do, or I don't feel inspired to do. And then there's an internal questioning. Okay. Why is that? Am I, have I truly become that different? And if so, I really ought to start being okay with that. And um, I think the difference is that we all evolve, we all grow and evolve and change, but it's, I think in some cases, maybe more cases than not, quiet, slow evolution and pandemic 
created sort of disrupt disruptive evolution, like bam, suddenly <laughs> we're emerging, I think, as different people and we're and we're trying to navigate that. I started off by saying intentionality, and I mean like intentionality around how I spend my time and my energy and my resources. If if energy and time is a is a resource in addition to funds and finances, and being aware a very important um, element of what it means to be present. And that essence of being present, I think, was something that I learned and discovered during pandemic. And by present, I truly mean when I wake up in the mornings and I look out the window, I'm being intentional about gratitude for the sun and gratitude for the irises and gratitude for the Japanese maple that's you know growing very slowly in the sunlight. Do you know what I mean? I do, I do. And I think we're seeing that honestly in, in women disproportionately because uh, many of us took opportunity, the opportunity to work remotely or, you know, I, I know leaders specifically in a really large company, a senior leader after being home with the pandemic and her children said, I don't know how I did this before. Yes. You know, I mean, how yeah. did I do all this before? And, you know, I'm not so sure I want to do this. Yes. Yes. Women seem to be affected. I mean, women and men, but of course I look at the world through gender lens and I see our women opting to maybe do with less to be able to have more at home. Yes. Do with less in order to have more at home. And I think I'm really optimistic about what kinds of changes all of this inspires and catalyzes and, and especially with women. And I want to say this during pandemic, I found myself holding domestic space more than I would typically be comfortable with, right? Like pre-pandemic, I was like, I'm a strong woman. I'm a powerful woman. I, I, I don't, I don't love doing dishes. I don't love doing laundry, all of those domestic, you know, traditionally domestic things. I really sort of intentionally veered away from <laughs> and pandemic was really an opportunity for me to go, okay, actually I'm home all the time. So some of the, <laughs> so some of those <laughs> traditional domestic tasks, I really reassessed. And I think um, one of the hopes I have for how women emerge from the pandemic is with a healthy, vibrant energy around the full scope of what it means to be a woman. You, you can be both. You can be powerful in work and in your professional career, and you can be powerful at home and hold those babies close and do those things that bring us together, right? In a way that I think also is a symbol of power. That's awesome. That's great. Um, you are working with in in, a, in the school district, yeah. not necessarily working with kids every day, but working yeah. in the school district with you know, with our young people. How important is language to our young people and the ability to communicate well? Like you mentioned with your Cameroon siblings and family. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I mean, I I really believe language is is the key that unlocks so many doors. It unlocks so many doors to to academic growth, to spiritual growth, to personal growth in a variety of ways. Um, for our kids, you know, just being able to teach them self advocacy. What does self advocacy look like? What does sensitive diplomatic discourse look like? What does it sound like? How do you advocate for yourself? 
and make room for other perspectives in the conversation, make space and make room and recognize that part of being human is um, acknowledging the ways in which we are different, but then also growing together um, around common, common values and beliefs. We all want safety. We all want love. We all want security. And for, for this, for kids, I think it's just so important that they understand again, you know, going back to the power of language and the capacity that we each have and the agency that we each have to use language to not only support our own ideas and causes, but to open gateways and open doors and open windows to other people's ideas and then figure out how it all fits, you know? Mm -hmm. How are we doing, do you think, with our kids and language? I think our kids and I think our kids in the context of language actually get it more than we realize, and some of us just need to get out of the way. Some of mm-hmm. us just interesting need to get out of the way because our way is not the highway. Our way uh, is not perhaps the best way, and I think, <laughs> I think our kids know that, and and really we need to give them space to 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 grow into what the future could be through their lens. And I'm, I have so much faith in that. I have so much faith in that. You know, I, I think maybe, I hope every generation looks, looks at the next generation and says, hey, we got a few things right, but I really have faith in you that you're going to get a few more things right. <laughs> I think the future depends on it. I really yeah. do. I mean, if you look at our own, we're, we're different generations. If you look at the things that, you know, I'm sure my parents you know, weren't so sure about or didn't like in my generation. Thank God we had them. And yeah. I think it is important for us to remember that, hey, the next, who's next yeah. up? Who's next? And it, it yeah. is going to look different. It yeah. is going to great in some really great ways. I do have to ask you about your inspiration for our years ahead video. You know, what, what was your inspiration for some of those scenes? Oh my gosh. You know, really just envisioning what I would, what future I would want for my own daughters, envisioning that. Um, envisioning what future I believe is possible, what future is truly on the on the horizon, so that it's not just a foggy sort of vision. I, I think it's real. I think it's possible, and I think it's on the horizon. And and so it was really just thinking through some of that, the hopes that I have for my own daughters, and therefore the daughters of us all. And the belief that I, it's not that far. It's not that far. You know that with the work that you all do and. So that was the inspiration. And then really just thinking through um, how I could possibly fit these big, wild, beautiful dreams and ideas into roughly a two-minute piece. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, it's awesome. This podcast is called the Own It Podcast because we always like to ask our guests, you know, what is it about you that is special and unique? Sometimes not always thought of in your lifetime is a good thing about you. Sometimes it has been, but are there a thing, is there something about you specifically that is your superpower and how do you own it? I have just come to this little bit of a discovery. Okay. Bear with me. For the longest time I have thought I'm, I, I'm supposed to be, if I'm, if I'm going to be a really good artist, if I'm going to be an artist that people respect as an artist, then I better figure out how to be only an artist. 
Or if I'm going to be a good communication strategist, I better figure out how to be only a good communication strategist and I'm going to have to ditch the artist's life, right? Like it's got to be one or the other. And just in the last few months, I'm like, no, Akwi, you are the only person you know who can rock the artist's lifestyle and the communications lifestyle. Own it. Own that. You're the only person you know who can rock them both. Own that. And so I'm just like, you know what? This is me. Like, you know, um, Hugh Jackman style. <laughs> That's the best. Yeah. The best. Really owning all of me. Like, I own that. I am I am an artist. And I'm, I'm really committed to communications and the role it plays in building organizations. And I don't know anybody else who's as passionate as both of them as I am. And frankly, is and and then as good at both of them as I am. I know a lot of people are good at each. I don't know very many who are good at both. Amen. I'm with you I'm on that. Little, I'm being a little. I silly. am with you, and I, and it is it is lucky for us that you feel that way because it would be an absolute shame if one of the other had to go away. Thank you, thank you, my friend. I appreciate Absolutely. you. All right, I appreciate you and all the work that you thank do. You. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a good one. You too. Aqui is such a creative in so many interesting ways. I just love how she paints such vivid pictures with her words. Level up your career in manufacturing. Applications are open through July 15th for women and men who are aspiring leaders in the manufacturing industry. Learn more at wlcglobal.org. We've got plenty coming up this fall, including workshops and two leadership conferences to boot. Tickets are on sale, wlcglobal.org. The Women Lead Change store is open 24-7. Visit wlcstore.myshopify.com. Follow Women Lead Change on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Please give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We appreciate it so much. More resources and tickets can be found at wlcglobal.org.